We welcome you to our continued studies in the Gospel of Mark, only four chapters after this class. Mark, in these chapters, gives his readers an account of the last few days in the earthly life of Jesus. And a few days before Jesus' death, he spoke these parables in the presence of the men who took him to the cross. Here in Mark chapter 12, verse 12, these enemies knew Jesus was speaking to them through these parables and issuing to them condemnation. Let's get into Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in his eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So imagine this, you own a farm, but you live some distance away and you have a lease arrangement with the tenants. They live on the farm, and they work the land. You visit after harvest every year, or you send someone to settle up. Your designated agents arrive to collect your percentage due to you. It is your property. They come back to you injured, bleeding, beaten up, and empty-handed. You send others, same thing. They are beaten up and sent back with nothing. So you send your son, believing they will treat him with respect and pay him what is owed to him. They kill your son and bury him on your farm. 
Well, you will have no more of that. Your patience with the tenants is over. This is a strong reference to how the Jewish people treated the prophets and they killed the son, the son of God. That was soon to happen. Mark chapter 12 and verse 12 says, the enemies of Jesus knew he was talking about them. I'll have more to say about that after I read through. Another sensitive subject comes up in verses 13 through 17. Mark 12, 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. You know, still today, not many subjects are as volatile as taxes, religion, and politics. Here, those matters are all combined in a mixture that would arouse the wrath of Jesus' enemies. Paying taxes to Rome wasn't an expense these Jewish leaders accepted with any level of favor, even if they paid them. Notice in the middle of this narrative, Mark says that Jesus knew their hypocrisy. They were amazed when Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Entering the stage now, the Sadducees, we continue at verse 18. The Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they ask him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection when they rise again. Whose wife will she be? For seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, 
Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. The Sadducees were not like the Pharisees or Herodians, except for one thing. They all wanted Jesus dead. They had their vivid differences, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, but they were united in their convoluted efforts to attack Jesus and get him out of the way. So they bring to Jesus a question convoluted. It is hard to unravel, even if you go back to Deuteronomy 25, but there's one point to this interview, to discredit Jesus. But again, it didn't work. They did not know God, and they did not know Scripture. Continuing at verse 28 down to 34, you'll recognize this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding." and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You were not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is refreshing because this man understood. And when he repeated the teaching of Christ, it became very clear he got it. This man, Jesus said, was not far from the kingdom. 35 to 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand 
until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Jesus brings up a question he knew would come up about him being the son of David. He shows that David called Jesus Lord. More about that when I finish the read-through. 38 through 40. We're in Mark 12, 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Speaking of scribes, Jesus commended one, but generally these men were not commendable. This is what the scribes were all about themselves. They walked around in long robes and they wanted people to give them honor at banquets in the synagogue. They demanded the places of honor, the best seats. They mistreated widows, offered prayers for no other reason than to elicit the praise of men. So Jesus said, they will receive their condemnation. And then verses 41 through 44, a vivid contrast here. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which means a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing into the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So here is a vivid contrast. Look at the scribes and their obvious self-interest and arrogance <clears throat> at the opposite end of that spectrum, this poor widow. And that's Mark chapter 12. I'm going to clear my throat and take a sip of water, and I'll be right back with my observations and takeaways. So, the parable of the tenants. Did you notice that Jesus raises an important question in verse 10 of Mark chapter 12? Have you not read the scripture? And he quotes from Psalms 118, 22, and 23. Jesus is giving one of many prophecies which pointed to the truth that while God made the choice to send his son, men rebelled against the son and the God who sent him. 
the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. But before God sent his son, he sent others to warn them and prepare them and rebuke them, prophets and John the Baptist. The Jewish people, generally speaking, rejected those previous servants and messengers. I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 25 and 26. Jeremiah was harshly treated by his countrymen, and Jeremiah was a spokesman for God. As Jeremiah was exposed to evil among the people, his own countrymen, God spoke through Jeremiah these words in Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline to my ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Now, here's a point we need to get from this. God was patient, giving the people multiple opportunities to listen and believe and change, but the people were stiff-necked, stubborn. Their condition became progressively worse, and then when God made the choice to send his son in the fullness of time, he was killed. And that's all depicted tragically in this parable, this allegory. One of the best quotations I have found on this was written by Paul Earnhardt. I'm going to quote from Paul. Jesus' purpose in this parable was to show the rulers of his people the road they were on and where it would lead. Their hypocritical religion merely disguised a seditious desire to seize authority from the true king, which would inevitably lead them to destroy their own Messiah. What would the owner of the vineyard do to those miserable tenants? Jesus asked the Jewish leaders. They replied with heedless fierceness. He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. That was their answer, Matthew 21, 41. Unwittingly, they had sentenced themselves. As Jesus would later warn, upon them was to fall all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, Matthew 23, 35. Their house would be left to them desolate. This parable is full of lessons. That's a good statement written by Paul Earnhardt. It was written in the book, Glimpses of Eternity, Studies in the Parables of Jesus, published by DeWard. So what do we get from this? God is the owner. He made every necessary provision for good fruit bearing, sent messengers. They were rejected, sent his son. He was killed. And in Mark's chronology, Jesus would soon be killed. Lesson for us. 
what God has done, who God has sent, the word God gave must have our respect and our obedient response. We don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees. Here's a subject we don't like today, but we do what is required, rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The Jews resented Roman domination, and tax collectors were generally resented, especially taxes to the Roman Empire, not so much the Jewish temple tax. But Jesus said, render unto Caesar, for this is money that is due him. So from the perspective of the Jews, this was money from their loyal Jewish pockets to the Romans. The Jews had to use money minted by the Romans to pay the Romans. And for them, that was revolting to their sense of independence. However, they traveled on their roads, they used their services, and think about this, the Jewish leaders are soon going to ask the Romans to put into their budget the trials and death of Jesus. But there's another part of this. Render unto God the things that are God's. This is the higher stewardship and obligation, and we all have it. Paul said, Romans 13, pay your taxes. And of course, render unto God the things that are God's. That entails generosity and contributing to the Lord's work. The Sadducees ask about the resurrection. What about the Sadducees and the resurrection? Well, Mark tells us in verse 18, they did not believe in it. They said there is no resurrection. So they bring to Jesus this hypothetical question that has one motive, to discredit Jesus, to call foul on his answer. Their trick question, however, didn't work. Now, don't try to go back and unravel the question. Focus on Jesus' answer. And this is sometimes called a dual blunder. The Sadducees were guilty of a dual blunder. One, Jesus said they didn't know God's word. Two, they didn't have a mature, informed view of the power of God. Lesson for us, before we ask a question or we state a proposition, we need to take fully into account the power of God and what he has said in his word. Verses 28 to 34, one of the most familiar teachings of Christ, and the simplicity of it should strike us as beautiful and practical. Love God, that's first. Based on that love for God, love others. In this case, the scribe was right and was commended. And after this, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The enemies of Jesus change now to more violent tactics. One quick point about Jesus as the son of David. He was the son of David in the genealogical sense, but also the prophecy God made to David about king and kingdom. 
and David's ultimate throne. That was fulfilled in Christ. You can read more about that in Psalms 110 and 2 Samuel chapter 7. Beware of the scribes. I'm talking about verses 38 to 40, and I'll also bring in 41 to 44. Two very different kinds of people, the scribes and the widow. The scribes, like their Pharisee companions, were consumed by pride, position, selfish, seeking of attention. They loved attention directed to their religious garb and their titles and their best seats and places of honor. But what is another depth of disgust among these men? They abused and devoured the houses of widows. Speaking of widows, Jesus offers an example of one who gave all she had. So two very different kinds of people. Let me turn that into a couple of lessons. One, we have had much to say in our studies in Mark about the corrupting nature of pride, seeking some position of honor to be looked upon by others and applauded and praised. This is decay of character. Jesus is the greatest. We are his servants who do not compete with each other. The widow illustrates heart-based sacrifice. The amount may have seemed extremely low, but giving is not measured by the amount, but by the size of the heart of generosity. Giving is not a competition. She gave out of her poverty while the common practice was rich people giving out of their abundance, their excess. True dedication to God is illustrated by the widow in contrast to the false religion, pride, and self-seeking ambition illustrated by the scribes and sometimes by Jesus' own disciples. She exhibited real spiritual devotion in a time and a culture where false devotion prevailed. And nobody noticed except Jesus. Mark chapter 12. Thank you.